and welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. I am Zach Faulkner Barfield, and alongside me is the dashing, the swift, the erudite Mr. James Marwood. <laughs> Thank you very much, Zach. Very kind of you. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, sir. Very well. It's, it's the end of November. It is. It is almost Christmas, almost here. Oh. I know. Christmas for me, December. That's fair. I hated the fact that Christmas stuff was out before even Halloween. Because I really quite like mince pies. And I bought some mince pies in early November that didn't have dates that would take them to Christmas. But I can live with that. I'm, I'm, it's worth it just for me to get the early mince pies in. I do like a mince pie too. Maybe we should review those for in December mm, issue. That's not a bad idea. Food and us and reviewing. Oh dear, oh, that's yes. a shame. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But, uh, but we're still in November, still on politics. Yes, November, the end of politics month, uh, The Perfect Gentleman. A little bit of politics this podcast. Mm. We're going to talk about beards and facial hair in public life. Yes. Which is an interesting subject. Um, and then our lovely Leah Morrigan is going to talk about Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister, who I think everyone in the world would like to clone and have as their leader of country. Quite possibly. He does certainly seem to be awesome. But we'll hear more about him from Leah shortly. And then it's time for a little cultural reviewing. Yes. I'm going back. I'm doing a TV review. Okay, excellent. Well, I'm going something very modern and new media. Excellent. So I know it's very strange that you and I are both talking about beards and facial hair in public life and we are the two of the most clean-shaven individuals yes. you've ever I don't think I've ever seen you without, without no, well, clean-shaven. I have had a, a moustache for Movember. I didn't do it this year but I have done the previous two years and in fact two years back I let it grow right the way through till February and I had what I felt was quite a magnificent and very fetching handlebar moustache that I got away with for a few months because my uh, other half, the Duchess, was in Brazil. And when she came back, the first thing she said, well, that'll have to go. <laughs> so, fair enough. I wasn't that attached to it that it was worth having a fight over. It isn't something you see in public life so much now. Previously, if we go back through time, facial hair on... Presidents, prime ministers, politicians was quite the norm. Beards, moustaches, they were the norm in public mm -hmm. life. They were quite the norm in celebrity culture as well. Mm -hmm. We've come back to it, but we'll talk about that in a little second. But they were quite normal. And now it's kind of gone. Yes. Very few public figures that have prominent facial hair. The moustache has, apart from people who wear it as a definite statement has largely fallen by the wayside, which is the whole point of Movember. It's almost like you're doing a punishment by having a moustache. As my cousin's wife says, she feels that she should be the one receiving the money for him having a moustache rather than anyone else because she has to put up with looking at him, which is a shame because someone with a good moustache, like Andy, our awesome sound guy, has a magnificent moustache and it looks great. Indeed, we are talking to you. The producer of our podcast, Mr Nickel, has a resplendent moustache. He does, he does. But they've kind of pretty much gone by the wayside. Certainly for public life. I mean, apart from the hipsters. But celebrity culture is slightly different. But public life is, in other words, politicians, people of that ilk. It's kind of gone away. Mm -hmm. And actually, there was a study recently that said politicians with beards mm -hmm. and facial hair tend to be less trusted than clean-shaven individuals. Yes. Which is fascinating thought. Mm. In the Middle East, in India, in Pakistan, in Afghanistan, a man without facial hair is considered a bit suspect to varying degrees. But I had this when I was working in Chennai in the south of India when talking with some of the guys and, and um, when I said, James, why don't you have a moustache? And this was in, in all seriousness. You know, was there a cultural reason or a health reason why I didn't have a moustache? Because all of the men there, especially those in more senior positions, had moustaches. And I know this from friends of mine who've worked or served in Afghanistan and Iraq, but especially Afghanistan. 
that without a beard, they aren't taken seriously or trusted by local people. And that was the case in the West. The ability to grow a good manly facial hair was considered a sign of strength and virility. Well, you look at all the pictures throughout history, sort of Second World War prior to that, yes. especially moustaches, mm-hmm. facial hair of some description was, was predominant and prevalent. And now we're at a position where, as you say, beards are felt to be a bit untrustworthy. Moustaches look strange and incongruous. I see a few more beards now than I used to, especially with guys in my profession in consulting. Everyone was always clean-shaven. I mean, the hipster movement and that sort of lumberjack movement yes. of beards and moustaches was there for about five or six years. Yes. It's kind of gone the other way now. It's people still have beards and moustaches. That hipster trend is ebbing away and the clean-shaven look is coming back. Mm-hmm. I grew a moustache for Movember a couple of years ago, which is very strange for me because I've never really done that before. You know, I've gone without shaving for a few yeah. days, but I've never purposely grown a moustache. And the problem was I looked in the mirror and A, saw my father, he to have a moustache and B saw Tom Selleck from Magnum <laughs> both of those sound like wins to me especially <laughs> Tom Selleck but, yes. especially the Tom Selleck no I was quite happy with the Tom Selleck but I didn't have his car and I didn't live in Hawaii so yes. I wasn't wasn't really feeling the no. vibe no I mean it was you know for me I enjoyed the moustache because it was fun you know I was able to wax it and give it a good curl and that sort of thing which was a lot of fun but if I'm dealing with clients and I've got my professional hat on I really have to be as respectable as possible and so Clean shaven is the way forward. Personally, aesthetic reasons, I kind of like being clean shaven, but also I think that I tend to get very um, clogged and pores. Yes. my pores tend to get not so good with hair and, and growing out. So, Do you think we'll ever see politicians back with facial hair? I don't think so. I don't think it will happen, certainly not for the foreseeable future. I think you're right. I mean, there are there are a number of politicians with facial hair. For example, Jeremy Corbyn. Leader of the opposition here in the yeah, UK. Yeah, who is very popular amongst a very vocal group, but has a particular brand which is unique, really, in British politics, which is that of an outsider and of a break from tradition. So the beard kind of fits that image and that mould and is probably useful in that sense. Plus, because he's fair-haired or grey-haired, it's not a very obvious big bushy beard. But if you compare that to, say, pictures of politicians from 100 years ago, a wholly different look. Absolutely. And just as a complete sidebar, we talked about him last week, Brian Blessed and his fantastic astute beard. Yes, he does. (laughs) He he, he does. He He has an absolutely magnificent beard. But again, for him, that's his... Brand, you know, he's a big, boisterous, larger-than-life figure. He's an actor, and so he's not going to be needing to be that kind of trustworthy, respectable man of the people. He can be flamboyant and be a rebel. And it's interesting the way that facial hair has come to be a bit rebellious. Yes. Whereas it was the mark of a settled, stable upright man and now it's the mark of an outsider. Well talking about smooth shaven and dapper politicians why don't we hand over to Leah Morrigan and she can tell us about her Prime Minister. Hello from Toronto it's Leah Morrigan your perfect lady. This time around I am happy to be speaking to you about Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and I want to begin with a quote from him. He says, I am a teacher. It's how I define myself. A good teacher isn't someone who gives the answers out to the kids, but is understanding of needs and challenges and gives tools to help other people succeed. That's the way I see myself. So whatever it is that I will do, I will eventually do after politics, it'll have a lot to do with teaching. I think it's lovely to hear this because hopefully all of us have had a teacher in our lives who believed in us and motivated us and helped us see our strengths. To know that the leader of Canada believes in us as individuals and as a country 
I think it's really inspiring and kind of cool. And I like that he has a pro-person attitude. He's very much a people person. Justin Trudeau's father, former Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, was a very intelligent crackerjack lawyer who moved Canada forward and spotlighted us on the world stage. Justin Trudeau is, is, is just as committed to Canada, but on a di- as a different person, of course. He is emotional, he's athletic, he's a well-read teacher who loves his country and strongly believes in diversity. From this standpoint, he really is a breath of fresh air, especially compared to the long, dark decade that we spent under the last conservative government who gave us no joy whatsoever. Mr. Trudeau, on the other hand, is alive. He listens, he snowboards, and he is beautiful. As I went through my days of researching and writing the article for The Perfect Gentleman, I processed a lot of information about Justin Trudeau's image, not necessarily his politics. He's got a strong appeal for a number of reasons. Yes, he's very handsome and the world spoons over him. Yes, he wears nice suits. Yes, he's got a gorgeous mane of curly hair. And yes, he's got sparkling blue eyes that are framed by curly dark eyelashes. But apart from the visuals, Justin Trudeau has his own thing going and it's nothing to be sneezed at. He's creative and and, and sensitive to people. He believes in women's rights. He created Canada's first gender-balanced cabinet. He walks in pride parades. He supports Canada's indigenous peoples. And he cries at social injustice. Paul Litt, in his soon-to-be-released book, Trudeau Mania, describes Pierre Trudeau as authentic, and I think this is something that sets him, that set him apart from the other politicians of the time. And this authenticity, I believe, also exists in his son. The younger Trudeau is real and he's human, and although he's Canada's most, you know, the most gorgeous prime minister we've ever seen, he remains humble and true to his beginnings as a teacher aware of his father's shadow, but keen to move Canada ahead to benefit all Canadians and shine on the world stage again. He says, I realize that we're defined in life not by what we get from this world, but what we have to offer it. And I know that I have a lot to offer this country, and I'm serious about devoting my life to it. Whether or not you agree with a politician's policies, what Trudeau says here is really the essence of what a politician should be. Someone ready to commit to their electorate, someone who listens and does not dictate, and someone who is respectful of all nationals and all levels of government. That he's drop-dead gorgeous is gravy on the side of his refreshing humanistic worldview. Thank you, Leah. That was great. I have to say, I'm a big fan of his. I like him as a person. Politics aside, he represents Canada phenomenally well. He's kind of one of those politicians, I, I jokingly said earlier, you'd like to clone and run your country. Yeah. I remember when he sort of first came to my attention was a picture in these papers, I don't recall which one, probably The Economist, of him leading a, or taking part in a gay pride march in Canada, wearing a pair of very skinny jeans and a very open shirt, looked good, didn't look like he was trying to fit in, didn't look like he was being cheesy, and marching alongside him, not in any sort of staged sense, or at least didn't seem to be, was a recent immigrant from Syria who was gay and HIV positive. And there he was, a couple of people away from the Prime Minister, part of the same parade. I just thought that was wonderful. Can you imagine that happening in many other countries? He's an inspiration as a politician. Indeed. Thanks for that, Leo. So, Zach, 
cultural reviews. What are you going to talk to us about this month? It was one of those things where I kind of debating what to or listen and review this month. So watching a little episode of Blacklist, the TV show with James Spader, and I kind of remembered what a fantastic show his previous show was. Mm-hmm which was Boston Legal. Yes, indeed. Uh, with the great William Shatner. And I thought that would be a good thing to review because I think it's a great TV show. It's uh, five seasons. It was done by the chap who did Ali McBeal. I think it was a spin-off of another show James Spader's character came into. But it was very interesting because it was a very funny show. Two great actors, William Shatner and James Spader. And then some other fantastic actors came into the cast. Candice Bergen and later Tom Selleck. Talk about Tom Selleck earlier. Yeah. What I really liked about the show, apart from it being quite bizarre and quite hilarious was it was this bizarre message show so every episode pretty much every episode there was some hard-hitting message that Mm -hmm. came across that was done with great fun almost Mm tongue-in-cheekness you know they would talk about gays in the military a gun lobby or old people or uh, the healthcare system or what some huge major major issue Mm -hmm. and they would deal with it in a fun Uh, ridiculous but enlightening way it was a courtroom show it was a law show so they could do these kind of things and there would be some bizarre cases there was cases about freedom of speech and racism and all sorts of crazy stuff but they would do it in an amazing way and the the premise of the show is William Shatner's character Denny Crane was right-wing Republican quite nutty about it and James Spader's character was a a liberal democrat and they were best friends as well and they would have great repartee and banter mm-hmm. but i think it was the by the end of the first season each show would end with william shatner and james spader sitting on a balcony drinking whiskey and smoking a cigar and recapping the episode basically yes. which i thought was delightful and absolutely our sort of ending yeah exactly i think we should end every podcast like that james we just need the balcony. We just need the balcony. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really loved that show, and it was funny, and it was intelligent, and it was smart, and it was kind of silly. Basically, everything that I kind of like about TV shows. Yeah. I was very sad when it ended, and I do tend to watch it again and again. It's one of those shows that I like to watch again. For some reason, it passed me by, but I really enjoyed Ali McBeal. That was a great show, and I never used to miss that. So I think I'll, I'll need to look at Boston Legal. It sounds good. The first half of the first series doesn't find its feet, mm-hmm. but once you get into the, it, it's so funny and so silly, and they break the fourth wall, and they there's in jokes about William Shatner's career as, at Star Trek, and there's jokes Excellent. about James Spader's other roles. Yep. It's very cleverly done. Excellent. Well, I'll look her for it's it. Not quite perfect, gentlemanly, but it's <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. We can we can enjoy it as entertainment. We can enjoy it as entertainment. So, what have you been reviewing this week? Well, I've gone for something completely different. I want to talk about a writer and podcaster whose work I've been really enjoying. His pseudonym is Jack Slack. So he writes about martial arts, mixed martial arts, UFC. A big passion of mine, boxing, that kind of thing. But what I especially like about Jack Slack and his work is that he draws on an awful lot of historical information. And history is a big interest in especially the history of martial arts and fighting styles. And also, he has a very appealing, dry weight, low tolerance for silliness and the sort of marketing nonsense that you get with a lot of MMA. So as much as I love the sport, I really dislike a lot of the silly posturing and the pretend arguments and the bottle throwing and yobbishness. It's almost like a WWE wrestling. There's part of it which now becomes silly entertainment. And the argument normally goes that you need this in order to build up interest for the fights. I don't buy that. I think there's probably a proportion of the market which does like that. But I think for most sports fans, 
and most people who are into sports in general and the sorts of people who would go and watch boxing or, or whatever, you know, MMA to me is a more interesting, exciting sport. And it's interesting, exciting enough that I don't need people pretending to have these fake beefs and arguments beforehand. What I love about Jack Slack's work, and he, he writes primarily now for Fightland, which is Vice magazine or Vice.com's martial arts sports-focused publication. And he also does a podcast called Fights Gone By, which goes out weekly. And he does a historical one that you, if you support him on Patreon, you get access to the historical podcast. I just love both his openness about how he views this, what he likes and he doesn't like. And he's clearly so passionate. And his razor-sharp insights into both the, the personalities in the background and especially the fighting styles. One of the things I've taken to doing now is often I'll watch a fight and then if it's one of the ones he's going to focus on, I'll watch his review, read his re review, and then go through his review and the fight at the same time. So I'll have them both up on my screen on my computer or I'll be reading the magazine or the web article whilst I'm watching the fight because he sees things that I don't, which helps me enjoy the fights more helps me with my own personal learning. But also, because he's such a good writer and his podcasts are so good, I learn as well from him in that sense. I'm a really big fan. I think it's great. He's probably, to my mind, the best of the current sports writers focusing on martial arts and on combat sports. He probably wouldn't agree with that, but it's his articles are always the ones I go for first. His podcast is in the top two or three that I listen to every week. If you're interested in martial arts mixed martial arts, sports, go check it out. If you're interested in sports journalism or really good, insightful, analysis-based journalism, go and check him out. Hopefully, he'll get a bit of a wider audience soon and we'll see more of him looking at some of the big fights. But until then, Fights Gone By podcast and the Fightland blog on Vice, definitely worth checking out. Wonderful. Well, I shall definitely check out Jack Slack. Yes, Jack Slack is a pseudonym based on a famous old Regency-era boxer. Oh, so excellent. Yes, it's quite a fun name. If you do a search for Jack Slack podcast or Jack Slack MMA, you'll find it. That sounds great. I shall be delving into Jack Slack's work Good stuff. in the future. The end of November, James. That's it. Done. Month 11 out of the way, Christmas coming, and minced pie reviews now. Minced pie reviews, yes. I think that has to be done. Absolutely. Blind tasting of minced pies. Let's go for it. We're off now to Boston League and style, sit on a balcony, smoke cigars, and talk nonsense. Indeed, more nonsense. Oh, we hope that you would come and join us next week. If you like what we do, please subscribe. Tell the world. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to communicate with us, Drop us an email at enquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv or follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're all there. Always happy to hear from you. Have a fantastic week. And James, speak to you next time. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by The Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.